Welcome to another episode of Better Than New, a podcast to help you find your next cool used car, truck, or SUV. I'm your host, Gary Crenshaw, and today what I want to dig into is the five essential rules to help you find a cool used car that you love. These are kind of basic. You might think it's not that big of a deal to know these things, but it's always surprising to me how often people forget these things and they end up with a used car that they don't really like, doesn't really fit their lifestyle, or maybe they end up paying too much for it, or they find something that, you know, if they'd spent a little bit more time and they were a little more patient, maybe they would get a car that was a little bit more reliable. So these are really kind of designed to help you find the best car for the budget that you have. So here they are really quickly. Number one, you want to know your budget. Number two, you want to know what you want. That's really important. A lot of people think they know what they want, but they don't really. Number three, you want to be realistic when you go out and do your search. Number four, you want to be patient. And five, you want to be ready. What I mean by being ready is when you find the car that you want, you want to be ready to buy it. So we'll dig into those in a minute. And to help us explore these essential rules to finding a cool used car, we're going to talk with someone who's actually right in the middle of their used car search. His name is Nick Botiford, and he happens to be a fellow podcaster. He's a co-host on RB1, a fantasy football podcast that can be found on the Fake Teams podcast feed on all major podcast apps. So be sure to check that out. And for full disclosure, Nick is also my nephew. And since he asked me for help in his used car search, I thought he'd make a great interview subject for this podcast since he's literally the target audience. He's somebody on a budget who's searching for a cool used car truck. So without further ado, Nick Boniford. How you doing, Nick? I'm good. How are you, Gary? I'm doing great. I'm really glad you could be here, even though neither one of us shaved today. <laughs> I'm looking at you on Zoom and you're looking good, man. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, you are too. Yeah. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Uh, I don't know if that's really true, but thanks for saying it. Okay. So before we dig into these, let's just kind of rewind a little bit. You had a used car you were driving up till two weeks ago. Yeah. How did you end up back in the used car market? What brought you back in? Well, I think I may have kind of fallen victim to the sunk cost fallacy. The car was a 2004 Nissan Pathfinder, and it is a really great car. It's it's from an era where Nissan was putting a lot of effort into uh, what they were crafting. The previous owner just didn't really take that great a care of it. And had I maybe held fast to a couple of these rules, maybe I wouldn't have bought it. Maybe I would have learned more about it and been more prepared to deal with it. But I sort of had a number of uh, repairs come up and I went with it just because I loved the car. And a few weeks ago, started to have the, the engine light come on and I noticed a couple quirky things with the acceleration and I had to pull over. It didn't want to accelerate for me anymore. And that was the transmission going. We talked about it a little bit and kind of came to the conclusion that probably sticking another 3500 4000 yeah. minimum wasn't going to be worth it for you. So you paid 2400 for the car. You had it mm -hmm. in four years? I think it was four, yeah. Okay. About how much did you put into it? And not in terms of like things like tires and brakes, because that's part of the maintenance cycle, but like big things that broke. The big one that was really the kicker was something with the like EVAP system. Oh, that was the phone call I got when you were driving to Colorado from Seattle. Oh, that was a different sensor. That was up in the engine. The one that was a real pain. So it was like $1,500 for this thing that basically was just put in place because they got rid of emissions testing. So you at least had to have this sensor in the car that would tell you if it was bad or whatever. So I think I replaced the timing belt at one point and then there was that bang and that, that was the transmission. So how much did I put in? I maybe would have paid for it a little bit more. So it, about five grand. 
Probably five grand in total. Yeah, I guess with with the cost. So when you think about it, you had it for four years. It cost you five thousand dollars. That's twelve fifty a year. Realistically, that's like a hundred dollars a month. You couldn't lease a premium SUV for four years and pay a hundred dollars a month. That's a fair point. So you made out okay. We drove it a lot. I mean, I took that thing through crazy weather. It made it out to Montana. We did Yellowstone with it. So it had a fun life. It, it had a really fun life. <laughs> it may continue to have a fun life, just not with you. Right? That's true. Okay, let's dig into these rules. So let's start with the first one. Know your budget. We've talked a little bit about your budget, and I think it's grown a bit since we first started to talk. Where are you at now? What's your budget? So right now, I think it's 5000 or less. So I thought your budget was closer to like seven or eight. Yeah, I should clarify this. If we're including paying for the title, paying the taxes and all that kind of stuff, then I guess, yeah, the the overall budget is probably closer to 6,500 or, or maybe seven, depending on what those excess costs are. But like upfront costs for the car, I would like it to be 5,000 or less. Okay. One thing that I try to tell people to do is whatever budget number they have, take that number and cut off 20%. And that's the, about the price you should be looking at, maybe the maximum price. Let's say you have $8,000. That means you'd be looking at a car up to like 6,400. Now, of course, if you found a car that was 6,500, that was really great, you're going to buy it, right? I mean, you're, you're almost there. But it gives you that bump room for paying for sales tax, license, title. And if you need to put a set of tires on it or you know do brakes or something in the near future, you've got some extra money left over for that. So the thing that I typically find, and I think you may have done this a little bit when you first started to look, is if you say, well, I've got like 7,000 to spend, what's the first thing you look at? Seven thousand, uh, the, yeah, the $7, maximum upfront cost. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or 8,000 or 10,000. By the time you buy that and pay, at least in Washington, the sales tax here is like 10%. You know, you buy a $10,000 car, suddenly it's 11. And next thing you know, you had the other stuff, it's 11.5. Crazy. Yeah. So the second thing is know what you want. You know what you want in terms of, you're looking for an SUV, you want a four-door, four-wheel drive, room in the back to put your dog, camp it here, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Specifically though, have you kind of like figured out which vehicles you want? Okay. So there's a couple things that, that are big for me. One, yeah, four-wheel drive. Two, I want face in the back. I, my dog is enormous. My preference is to get a, a great crate for him, specifically for the dog nerds out there, a gunner crate. They're big. They're save any dog's life kind of a thing. And that's going to require space. You know, I had a, a friend of mine t- trying to tell me, well, why don't you just slap some snow tires on a, a Honda Civic and you're good to go? <laughs> I, you know, that yeah, I I, I love the idea. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but yeah, so I want the space for the dog. I want the the type of rig that I can kind of take anywhere. And so the gold standard is the Forerunner. The consumer loves the you know mid 1990s to I guess early 2000s, but that's also the same era where a number of makes all kind of banded together to try to create some product that was competitive with the Forerunner. To list a few, you've got the two from Isuzu, the Rodeo, the Trooper, mm-hmm. uh, Honda Passport, the Mitsubishi Montero. So th- these are all like great cars where at that point in time, that like 96 to 2004, these companies put a lot of TLC into creating a vehicle that could compete with the Forerunner on mm-hmm. the market. When we were looking previously, I think it was a little bit easier. We were finding some more rodeos and pathfinders. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I've, I've actually found quite a bit more forerunners. Now, the mileage is a lot higher. So, yeah, I think it's going to be one of those four-wheel drive cars that I just mentioned in that preferably 96 to 04 time frame. 
You mentioned the mileage thing on the Forerunner, and that's something that I've noticed over several years of looking at these things. They tend to sell for more, and they have, in some cases, considerably higher miles, 200, 220, 250. That's not uncommon. The other thing that's not uncommon is that they're still totally viable vehicles at that price, as long as people have done consistent maintenance. They've done the brake pads. They've done the timing belt on time. If it has a timing belt, some have a chain. But for the ones that have a timing belt, they've changed that routinely. You know, they kept up with all that sort of stuff. So there was one you looked at just a couple of days ago. He sold it before he even got there, right? Yeah, it was gone in like three hours. What were the specs on that? Was it 95? 95, it was manual. It had 206,000 miles on it and it was selling for 4,700. And I think one of the things we talked about was if you find a forerunner under how much? Under 5,000. Yeah, they go in minutes. Yeah, I, I had that experience twice in the last week where there was one that was in that 1990s era. It had 200,000 miles on it and it had uh, a number of things that were new, which was great. And I was able to talk to the mechanics who worked on it and they were really impressed with how well uh, taken care of it had been. The other one was around 250,000 miles, but it was advertised as being owned by an elderly couple, which 250,000 miles driven by grandpa is a lot more gentle than 24-year-old. So you looked into that one that was owned by the older gentleman? I couldn't get out there fast enough. I, oh, it was gone I, too. Oh, okay. Yeah, I called to, to schedule when I should come by. And during the phone call, they said, oh, wait a minute. Somebody's coming about 20 minutes to look at it. <laughs> and they texted me an hour later and said, yeah, I just sold it. And I think a good part of the, uh, the, the idea of knowing what you want is going to be familiarizing yourself with the market. So even if you're not planning on buying like this week or this month, looking at Craigslist constantly to know like what is actually a good price. And, you know, if it says, Hey, trust me, it's in great shape. Or if it's someone saying I've got the paper, I've got the records to show you it's in great shape. You, you start cycling through the, uh, the ads a lot quicker. As I said to you a while ago, you know, one of the first cars I looked at, it was an Isuzu Trooper and I said it was in great shape and the passenger door. Yeah. It's fused shut, but you could probably get it open. And yeah. I said it to you and I'm like, he says it's in great condition. It's just got a door that doesn't work and it's a two door rig. Yeah. Uh, Good luck. Right. <laughs> I know. I see that stuff all the time. You just have to laugh about it. One of the things that we talked about the other day, look at the car and ask yourself, okay, it's going to take me an hour to get there an hour to get back. Do I really want to go see this car based on what I'm reading? And when I asked you that question, you said, no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's the travel time. Plus you have to inspect that thing inside and out and they better have the record, the receipts for all the work done, which means you're going to have to look at dates. You're going to have to look through all of this stuff. And, and ideally you have the Carfax too. You're going to spend hours. This is why it's so important to know what you want, because in your case, you know, what's good, you know, what isn't. So when you look at an ad, you can quickly decipher, I don't want this car. And you can move on to the next where you can skip the day and go out and play with the dog instead. Right. Right, Yeah. Uh, So number three is be realistic. Be realistic about your budget. Be realistic about what you can afford. Be realistic when you look at a car because are you emotional? I mean, does this get you kind of worked up right now? Totally. Yeah. you You get excited, no doubt. So in that excitement, you have to sort of like contain yourself and go, okay, don't, don't get too freaked out. But if you're realistic about what you want, what your budget is, what you can afford, 
what you're going to end up having to repair. So you're looking at it clearly and you're able to ask the right questions. You're going to end up making a better decision in the long run. One thing that I think is really good about what you've done is you either got a hold of a Carfax or the owner had a Carfax and gave it to you. And you were able to contact previous uh, repair shops that worked on that car. Uh, You mentioned it earlier, but break down a little bit. What are some experiences you had and how was that positive or negative? I was really shocked to find out uh, how routine it seems to be for the folks at the garages that I've called where um, he was excited to talk about the car. So and he remembered working on it and he, he was able to say, yeah, no, this was a really, really good looking rig. This was the only thing that we didn't have records for, blah, blah, blah. It surprised me how normal and how ready and willing people are to feel that question to so hey I'm I'm you guys just worked on this car I was I'm thinking about buying it I was wondering if there was anything you could tell me about it and I guess it, it makes sense because if they're already familiar with it maybe you want to bring it to them for the next service and the thing I think people need to remember as they're listening to this is that you got that information from the Carfax it's not always there but those repair shops that had listed previous repairs were listed there was a phone number you could just call and give the the VIN number of the car. The great thing about Carfax too, and this isn't just a commercial for Carfax, but no, the, we don't the, get paid by Carfax just right. to be clear. <laughs> the The great thing is that they, um, they include ratings for the different garages. So if people who are on Carfax if, or, mm. or whatever, they, they collect the like heart rating. So four and a half out of five stars or 45 would recommends that kind of thing. There was one garage that had like two ratings and then there was another one that had a, a bunch. And so, you know, I just, I, called the one that had a, b- a bunch of recommendations and they were able to help me. Um, so you can kind of find out if, cause somebody's going to take their car to a, lo- a couple different shops, presumably, especially if they have two owners, but anyway, uh, yeah. Carfax really helped. Yeah. And I got the like three uh, Carfax bundle. So you, you pay 20 bucks per and you get three of them. They're kind of Couple. expensive, but once you've narrowed down, I think I want this car. It's a quick way to get some information as long as you've got the VIN number from the car. And sometimes people won't give that to you and I don't understand why, but uh, if you have it, then you can quickly get that info. Uh, let's talk about number four. It's the idea of being patient. How does patience fit into your current plans? Just because it is a, you, you find a car that is technically what you want. And maybe that just means that it's the make and model. doesn't mean that it's really the car that you want. And that includes, like, like we were saying, uh, an owner that has receipts for the paperwork that's been done. Uh, minimal owners, if, if possible. It, it's doors. hard on a 30-year-old car, a 25-year-old car to, to find a two-owner or one-owner car. But they're out there. Sure. It's really surprising to me over, I guess now almost two weeks that I've been looking at Craigslist every single day, how many good cars show up throughout the course of, I mean, even one day, like uh, you you might find an, a number of cars that, that really fit your bill. And the third one that you see in the day is actually the best of the the bunch. So just, yeah, be patient. Don't feel like if you miss out on this one, there isn't going to be another one. I I had the feeling when I missed out on that first forerunner that was owned by someone's grandpa that I was not going to find one again. And it took two days for the next one to show up. That was this great one that, that we've been talking about that was gone in three hours. So as you say, <laughs> yeah. the next train's coming. Yeah. Next train passes in 10 minutes. There's always another car. Just be patient. So one of the things I want to mention is that we're going to talk again at the end of your process. And I want to follow up with you and see you know, what you ended up finding. And we'll see how patient you really were. And you can Yeah, looking forward that. to it. Um, but number five, and this kind of came up for you a couple of days ago when you were looking at that 95 Forerunner. 
I know you were going to go out and look at the car. You actually hooked up with a friend who was going to travel out with you. And that car was sold before you even got in the car to go. Yeah, I had uh, tentatively scheduled a 6.30 arrival time. And at 6.08, I was informed that the car had been sold. Okay. Um, so be ready is an all-encompassing term. I know it might be a strange thing, but have cash on hand. Most people don't want a check. Right. Perhaps in the 21st century, PayPal would be acceptable. I'm not sure how. Yeah, you, you tell me what you think of that. For a car that's around that price, $5,000, Yeah, I, I like to have cash in hand. And you probably want to go with a friend. You don't want to go solo because, you know, it's a crazy world out there and you don't want to have somebody rob you of your $5,000. You want to make sure that, you know, people are legit before you go meet with them. But, you know, I tend to like hide it somewhere in my car or something and say, well, yeah, I can get it in a minute and I'll, you know, drive away for a block and then turn around and come back and go, oh, I got it. And then if they have the title, they can sign it over and you can do the paperwork, hand them the cash and the car is yours. Deal's done. The only thing I need to mention, you want to use your state's bill of sale. This is important if you have a sales tax, because on a bill of sale form, you write in what you paid for it. Both people sign it. It becomes an official document. I had bought a car in Utah, which is a few states away from where we live. This was 10 years ago. And I did a bill of sale, but I did like my own bill of sale. I just sort of like wrote it up. You know, I looked online and thought, okay, this is what it looks like. Did all the paperwork, got back, and they wouldn't accept it as a legitimate bill of sale. They claimed that the car that I bought was actually more valuable than what I paid for it. So I had to go through the process of FedExing the guy an official Washington bill of sale form. He had to fill it out, send it back. I had to sign it. So it was kind of a hassle. So I would just make sure that you go to your licensing website Make sure that you're doing all the things you're supposed to do to purchase that car correctly. So you don't have to go back and deal with that person again and try and track them down. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. uh, Be prepared. Be ready. Well, it sounds like you're ready. Did you find any cars today? No, not yet today, but I haven't checked in probably four or five hours. So we'll see. Okay. Well, I'm going to give a little bonus tip. One of the things that I like to do is I just jump on Craigslist in the morning and I do the setting over in the upper left where you can click on dealers for sale by owner or both. I click on for sale by owner. And then if you know you're looking for like a Toyota 4Runner in your case, I'll just put in Toyota and it'll pull up all the Toyotas, but you only have to scroll down maybe a hundred cars and it doesn't take that long to scroll through those in case you miss something, because somebody might put in Toyota four bunner. Some people can't spell things happen. In fact, sometimes I'll do it with no search parameter whatsoever, other than just clicking on owner. And the reason I, I don't click on the, the car ads from dealerships is <laughs> dealers tend to run the same ad again and again and again every single day until that car sells. And that car may be on their lot for three months and you'll see the same ad for the same car 50 times. So that point about uh, how you search is really interesting because early on when you were showing me a few rigs, I couldn't find the ones that you were looking for. And you turned me on to just learn to know the main page. Just Mm -hmm. go to owner and just scroll through the whole thing. What I end up doing is I will just know the last time I saw a car that I was interested in, I know that's mm-hmm. how far I got to scroll to it. Once you find a car that might be one of the ones that you want, you won't forget it. Also doing the, just the general Toyota search is a lot better than searching just specifically for the one thing that you're looking for. Here's what's cool about what you're doing. You've picked this up really quickly. I'm just blasting you with tech stuff, right? I'm just saying like, you know, start at the top, scroll down. When you get to a car that you've seen before, then you're done. 
come back in three hours, do it again. Cause you know, you can start in the morning at nine o'clock and look, if you go back at three, there's a lot more cars and you may go through and go, Oh, there's nothing there. I want. Okay, fine. But you might go, Oh God, there's two cars. Oh God. Right. The thing is there's some other guy like you who's looking even more often. Yeah, I know. And I mean, that's, that's, that has to be how they sold that last forerunner. Cause when I contacted them, it was like 31 minutes. It had been up and they were, they emailed me back immediately. My question to you is in your experience, they've got a number listed. Is that the preferred method? Like should should you just pick up the phone and call the phone? Yeah. If they list the number, it's really, really frustrating when people just put the Craigslist link, you know, Mm -hmm. you can only reply through Craigslist. When Chie and I were looking for a car, yeah. we'd log in, we'd find something. It's like, hey, we're really interested in your car. We'd love to come see it. Are you available at two o'clock? And it's like nine in the morning. And then three in the afternoon, you get a response. Oh, yeah, I just saw your email. Um, and you're like, seriously? Are you trying to sell a car? Or are you just like yeah. taking a nap? <laughs> Wake up. So if you've got a phone number, boom, I would call right away. You're seeing it. You're living it. There's always somebody who's a faster gun. You totally. Know, yeah, the you, gunslingers are out there, man. They're they're trying to find stuff. The first time when they sold it like that day, I thought, okay, you got to be faster. You, you can't schedule for tomorrow, which is what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. You have to schedule the same day. And then when this most recent one happened, I went, okay, if I like it, I have to drop what I'm doing right, and, ju- and just and go. go. Yeah. yeah. I, it can't be, can I come in a few hours? They're going to go, yes. And then the next guy who calls them says, can I come right now? He's going to go, yes. They're just like next, next. Yeah. Well, you got to promise you're going to come back once you find something. Cause I think this is really good information to help people in their search, you know, to hear somebody else going through it. So I think it, this has been really invaluable to help us go through these five steps. really want to thank you for taking the time and, Let's do this again when you find a cool SUV that meets your needs. Yeah, I had a blast. Thanks, Gary. I appreciate all, uh, all of your help and uh, ha- happy to come back anytime, tell you where I am in the car search. Okay. Well, everybody, thanks for uh, listening. Nick, thank you so much. And we will catch you next time. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Better Than New, the podcast to help you find a cool used car, truck, or SUV at a price you'll love. If you made it this far, you know our guest Nick has done an outstanding job following the five essential rules to finding a cool used SUV. And in the next episode, we'll find out just how much he saved and which awesome SUV he ended up buying. I'm impressed with what he found, and I think you'll be impressed too, so be sure to join us for that. In the meantime, I'm Gary Crenshaw, this is Better Than New, and I'm really happy you came along for the ride.